Janice M, star one to unmute. Okay, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Janice M, a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Now, let's see. Today is Tuesday. It is November the 10th, 2015. Today we're reading from the big book, and we are on page four, Bill's story. We're going to review that, that last paragraph on page four. Now, today's readers are um, of the 12 traditions, a Mary H. I'm sorry I didn't get the 12 steps, but uh, I will read it in a minute. And our readers will be uh, Martha Z, and number two will be Chelsea H, and three, Elizabeth S. Okay. Um, Hold on just one second. Twelve steps is Hoodie R. Hoodie R will be, and Mary H for the 12 traditions, like I said. Okay. Um, uh, we're going to redo the reader's list, if I may. It's going to be Elizabeth S. is going to be first, Elizabeth. Martha Z. will be second. And Chelsea H. is third. Okay. Um, hold on. Very quick here. All right, Uh, reader number one, you're going to read page four, the last paragraph. We went, you need to hold on just. I hope that is clear. Elizabeth asks, you're going to be reader number one, and you're going to read page four, the last paragraph, okay? just for revisiting it. And then um, two will be um, Elizabeth. I'm I'm a little confused here. Leah, would you just take over for the readers, and then I will continue. Don't hear anybody. Okay. Here we go. Again, good morning and uh, welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for your big book study. My name is Janice M. and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday. It is November the 10th, 2015. I and we are going, we're on page four in Bill's story, the very first, the last paragraph, okay, is going to be, uh, we're going to revisit that. And our readers today are, for the 12 steps, Hoodie R, the 12 traditions, Mary H. The readers for today will be Elizabeth S., Martha Z., 
and Chelsea H. Reader one, you're going to read again the last paragraph only. Um, I'm going to have to wait for the uh, ID. I'm going to read the OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, and that's to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. From compulsive overeating, um, our message... I'm going to start again. Our sole purpose is, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence in the practice of the 12 steps, 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will ask, ask Hoodie R, please, to read the 12 steps. Thank you so much, Dennis, for your quick stepping up service. The 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. And thank you so much, Hoodie. Uh, okay, uh, would you kindly, uh, Mary H., read the 12 traditions, please. Good morning. This is Mary H. in Connecticut. The 12 traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two. For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, 
The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never indulge, endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever for non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, or television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you, Mary H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. So today we resume our study of the big book on page 4. We'll start with paragraph 3, and I will ask Martha Z to begin our study today. Good morning, Martha. Good morning, Melanie. I'm a little bit confused. I was told I was supposed to do... Uh, the top of page five, liquor ceased to be a luxury. Oh, okay. Then let's start there. Thank you. Keep me straight. Okay. Elizabeth S. is going to read that oh. paragraph you enforced. Yeah. Elizabeth was supposed to do the last paragraph on, on page four. Well, first. Martha, there's been, there's been just a bit of a confusion, and I began that particular confusion. So if you would go ahead and we'll reverse this around, Elizabeth, if you can kind of hang tight and, and follow suit. Martha, I will have you read that third paragraph on page four. Hopefully that doesn't confuse your sharing today, but if you would begin there, that's where we would go from that point. Thanks so much. Okay. We're going to revisit that last paragraph and get a bit of a share. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> uh, good morning, Thanks. Melanie. Yeah. Thanks for your service. Um, this is Martha Z. I am a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from near Philadelphia. We went to live with my wife's parents. 
I found a job, then lost it as a result of a brawl with the taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. My wife began to work in a department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. And I think I'm going to wait to share till the second paragraph. Thank you for letting me give service. Okay, thank you very much, Martha. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I apologize for that little bit of a confusion. So with that, we can go right into those that are interested in sharing on that paragraph. Who would like to speak on that paragraph this morning? Press star one, please. Melissa C. Hi, Melissa. This is Becky. I hear Becky. Anybody else? Stacy. Hi, Stacy. Okay, let's go with those three for now and see what we can come up with. Uh, Good morning, Melissa. It's your turn to share. Hi. Good morning. It's Melissa C. I'm recovered. Compulsive overeater in New York, and um, you know, at this time it seems like I just keep um, really focusing in on those uh, whites. You know, it just seems like every um, every paragraph we read, my mind is going to her, and I guess you know, I'm thinking about my spouse and how you know I used to like to believe that my disease wasn't harming anybody. You know, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't as bad as an alcoholic. I certainly could pull down my job, and I could fulfill, you know, what I believe were uh, my obligations as a wife and a mother. Um, but, you know, I'm really thinking that that's not true, you know, that I did not um, offer and bring much to the to the marriage and the table when I was in my disease. And that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about how much time I spent um, – locked up in my room, you know, um, or waiting for everybody to go to bed so that I could, you know, get into my substance so I could get into my binge food. And I'm thinking about, you know, how I used to come home from work. Um, And, um, you know, that my husband would be home um, from work already, taking care of things in the house. And, um, that I made a lot of excuses for staying at work late. And, and actually, I wasn't necessarily working late. I was um, eating the candy that I had had in my classroom. And so, you know, I would come home um, and not be great, not be a great partner, not be a great spouse. And, um, you know, I'm just, I just keep focusing in on that today. It just keeps uh, bringing, you know, it up and my mind and how, um, you know, and how um, this disease does harm people, you know, that that's a lie to think that it's not as bad, um, you know, because it, it certainly does. It isolates, you know, partners from one another. Um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Becky, you're up next. How about the first initial of your last name, please? Yes, Kay. Thank you. This is Becky Kay from Maryland. This paragraph um, reminds me of the big D in the disease and the D of denial, delusion, and defiance. You know, it says here when Bill says, mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or highly draw a sober breath. Well, surprise, surprise, people know, they see, 
you know, so the disease that we have of compulsive overeating, we, we go into this big denial and delusion. Oh, nobody knows this. Well, everybody knows it because we are so defiant. You know, as it says right before that, that he got into a brawl with the taxi driver. There we go, defiance. We're right. I mean, fight, fight, fight. Here, here's Bill, you know, brawling with the taxi driver. And so this little paragraph is just chock full of how this disease causes us to go into denial. You know, no one knows. And then this denial becomes this big delusion. We're, we kind of live in a different land. And and, and the defiance, um, you, you know, he knows that his wife is working hard, but yet, he, you know, she comes home beat. And, and what does she find? Drunk. That he's drunk. And it's just a disease that takes over, and, and, and as we know, it's a disease of the body and of the mind. And here's the mind, you know, being, being, going into sort of a denial and delusion we just don't see clearly. And, and it's just, this just punctuates all of that for me. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Becky Kay. Stacy T. You're next. Good morning. This is sorry, Stacy T from Cleveland, and reading this paragraph again um, brings home about like what it must have been like for Bill and Lois to go and live with his her parents after you know the ups and the downs that he he's had, and I'm not so sure that her family was so keen on on them even uh, being with them, and. When he said uh, no one would guess that I was to have no real employment, I, I'm missing the part that he says I didn't guess that I would not be able to um, draw a sober breath. And being an unwelcome hanger on her, um, he had worked his way through plenty of places. And just the way that his alcohol addiction had taken on, just the way my food addiction had progressed. Um, I don't know that I became unwelcome, but I know that uh, I was there for one reason and one reason only, and that was to get my my fix and my high. And uh, I think the last piece is that Lois and her enduring support of Bill um, was willing to do whatever it took to keep her marriage together. And no matter how frustrated she was, the long hours that she worked, she took her her vows with Bill very seriously through the ups and the downs and the ins and the out, as we'll continue to see through the rest of the chapter. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Stacy. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Anyone else? Star one, before we move on. This is Amy. I'd like to I share. Hi, Amy. I heard somebody else. She yes. is that you? Yes, it is. Thank you. You're welcome. Anybody else? I see. Okay, well, let's go with that then. Hi, Amy. Amy M. You're next. Yes. Yeah. Nice yeah. yeah. Hi. Thank you. Hi, Amy. Um, I'm Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, and I, too, just want to speak to um, his wife here, Bill's wife, Lois. Uh, and and it, I can't help but um, kind of do some identification with um, 
you know, a previous share as I, um, when I was in the food, I had a very difficult time maintaining relationships. Um, I would often say I had like a two-month limit, you know, and within two months I would know, um, you know, that the guy would be history in a blink of an eye, more or less. Um, and really what's hitting me today um, even is, is that, you know, it would be a two-month limit because that was usually as long as I could maintain, um, you know, putting the food down or not having a horrific binge in front of somebody. Um, you know, it would be two months before um, my disease would be, you know, itching so much to get out that, uh, you know, I would have to drop whatever guy I was dating in order to maintain, you know, um, my secret um, of binging, um, of, of binging. Um, you know, I would, I would binge all day at work. Um, I, too, as a I'm a teacher, and, uh, you know, I would eat candy all morning until lunchtime. Um, and then lunch would come, and I couldn't eat lunch because I was so full. Or I'd be trying to, um, you know, uh, uh, level out my sugar high by eating carbs, and uh, that didn't help. Um, so anyway, you know, I, I just I continue to love listening um, to this meeting and devotion, as I like to call it as well, because... You know, it's so amazing to um, to read such a small piece uh, of the history and gain so much from it, um, as many people have said before. So, you know, just identifying in, um, you know, uh, uh, poor Bill and, and Lois to maintain their relationship through it all. Um, you know, because for me, I couldn't do that. It, it was a two-month limit. Um, and, you know, gratefully, uh, today I have a happy, healthy relationship. And I know that's only due to recovery. So um, with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Sheil B., you're next. Yes, thank you. This is Sheil B., recovered compulsive overeater from New Hampshire. Or I rather I shouldn't say recovered. I should say on the path. Um, I just wanted to say, yeah, this, this experience, this paragraph relates directly to me in my experience, I know in my 20s, my family, my mother and father, I was living with them, and they would come home from work or outside activities and find me absolutely face down in the food. Uh, I I could not function. They'd find me in the middle of the day in my uh, uh, nightgown. Sometimes I didn't bathe. when I was binging, and they would have to throw me in the shower and you know, scrub me up in order to get me try try to get me functional again. But for the majority of my life, I have not been able to have a normal life uh, because of food and because of my addiction. Uh, I've lost jobs. Uh, I've flunked out of school, all because of food. And I just wanted to put that out there. I'm a low bottom food addict. That's all I have. Thanks. Thank you, Sheila B. Anyone else before I move on? Leah. Hi, Leah. Thank Anybody you. Anybody else? Yeah. Anybody else? Just real quick. We'll go with you, and then we'll move on to the next one. Hi, Diane. Leah. I'm going to squeeze all Diane in there real quick. Okay. G. Okay. We'll take Leah S., Diane, 
and Suji, and then we'll move on to the next paragraph. Well, thanks so much. Hi, Leah. Thanks for hanging on there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, well, this paragraph tells me on the downside of Bill. He's going down, and he's continuing to go down, up and down, up and down. And he's explaining what is going on. And first he's bragging about going into the stock market and making a lot of money. And then all of a sudden he's just saying that he got a job, job. He he had so many jobs. He had so many things going on. And then the, then he uses the word mercifully. No one will guess. That shows how much his humility was and how bad it was. And I'm not doubting all these feelings that he was going through. And then, and then his spouse has to go and work in a department, live with his parents, with his wife's parents. That's really the downside of him. And he's, he's just showing us all over here. And um, um, what, what a downside it was how it could go up in a minute and then down. And that's where I identify that I also did so many things in my disease. They were so unstable. They were so, they didn't have to make sense at all. As long as I knew that I had my food and I had my stash and nothing else mattered. And so with that, I identify. Thank Thank God for our way. And thanks for this. Thank God for the twelve steps. I pass. Thank you, Leah S. Diane, you're next. Um, could you give me the first initial of your last name, please? Diane, press star one, please. Thank you, Diane W. Can you hear me now? I can. Hey, thanks. Thanks so much. Good morning, everybody, and thanks for being here. I'm Diane W., uh, compulsive overeater and bulimic, recovered in um, Philadelphia. Um, Yeah, well, this is a fantastic reminder of what it was like and what it's like now, and it really helps me see how I am truly recovered and what a miracle it is and how much of a, a daily spiritual reprieve that I have from my disease. And, you know, I, I remember... Like similar to an alcoholic stumbling from one drink to the next, it was like that with food. So, you know, when I would binge, it would basically put me in a state where I was down for the count, I was out, I would sleep, I was miserable, I couldn't move. Um, and I was in no way thinking of being helpful or being stable or self-efficient or self-reliant in any way. It was all about me, all about food. Um, and since discovering the 12 steps when we talk about a disease of body and mind, I've been able to find a solution to take care of my body and also a continuous daily journey to take care of my mind and my spiritual condition. And, you know, I think about I think about that selfishness and then I think about the way that I show up now in my life for my family, for my husband, for my children, for my employer. And I'm not perfect, but I have a program that helps me every day look at, you know, what I did in a 24-hour period or a 12-hour period and where I need to make amends and what I can do better. And I just feel infinitely grateful for the life that that I have now as a gift of this program. And just remembering that it is a daily reprieve, so waking up this morning, taking some time to meditate, I'm on a business trip, like making sure I, I stepped out and got myself some afternoon food before I meet everyone for breakfast. And 
um, you know, looking at this day to try and be of service and 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 um, work on my humility today. Um, so I just feel super grateful for all of that and for all of you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Diane W. Sue G. And then we'll move on. Hi, this is Sue G. Um, you know, I think of Lois too, but I think of I, I reverse the situations where I think in the the movie Bill's story, um, or it might be the one in Lois' story, but you know, she he complains about her nagging. That's about the only thing she did that that really she put up with the rest of it. And I think of me and how I how much I put my family through. And um, the nagging, um, the 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 wanting my family, you know, when they were gone, it's when I really partied because I could be alone, or when they went to bed, and, um, and my husband would work hard during the day and come home, and what do you find? Someone that wasn't available, wasn't. I mean, I know it wasn't all my fault because I didn't start eating until. The marriage was starting to go down the tubes, but but I still everything I thought was his fault, his fault, his fault, and um, and I ate and ate and ate to to have that emotional release that that I that I wasn't getting in my marriage, and it took going to another program to see that it it, it was me, and I had to stick those fingers pointing at me, and. Um, I just, you know, I think back, you know, now and realize how much I put them through, how much I wasn't available to my children and how much I yelled. And um, it's like a boxer in the middle of a boxing ring, just, you know, come out and fight with me, come out and talk with me. And I just want to share that because that's kind of a reverse. For me, it's a reverse of what what all that Lois put up with. Uh, My husband had to put up with all that, even though I blamed him. Um, thanks for letting me share. I'm done. Thank you, Suji. Moving forward now in our study, Chelsea H., would you please read the first paragraph of Bill's story on page five for us and share on that particular paragraph? Thank you, Melanie. Thanks for your service. <clears throat> I'm Chelsea H., recovered compulsive overeater for today. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three, got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars, and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. This went on endlessly, and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumbler full of gin followed by half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation and there would be periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Um, This uh, part of the material for me really speaks to this whole reliance on king food and king liquor for me and self. Nothing to match the calamity except the food, and it hasn't been working out well for me at this point. And for uh, Bill here, the bathtub gin, that's the pluck of the gin. That's the lowest of the low that you can't afford, but you can get it because it's it's handmade by somebody else. 
And for me, that looked like me eating the stuff that was in the cupboards that usually I would save for rainy days or whenever it was rough times. But I'd already gone through all my other food. So now it would be time to raid the cabinets and eat all that stuff that was outdated and what have you. And sometimes I would take the money that I had for bills and not pay the bills. I would go and buy food that I could not afford. The selfishness here that rings through, never did he think of Lois working in this, living in their, uh, her parents' house, her coming home tired and all. He goes and pays the bills at the delicatessens and the bars, so this way he can eat and drink with no regard to them. Because if he netted a, a hundred bucks or so back then, that was a lot of money. That was a lot of money. But it went on endlessly. It never got better. And I would waken in the mornings ravenous because I would need to fill that food void just from sleeping, just from going through the night. And a tumbler full of gin followed by half a dozen bottles of beer, for me that looked like a couple pounds of bacon followed by half a loaf of bread and a couple other things and then two or three large glasses of wine to wash it all down would be required before I could even move on with the rest of the day because I had such a need by then. I had set the cycle into motion so fierce that I had a biological mandate to eat everything that I could. Nevertheless, I still thought that I could control the situation, not the food, the whole situation. I would be able to control the calamity that was resulting from me eating up all the food in the house, putting the kids to bed early, making sure my husband had extra liquor so he could pass out early so I could eat and drink comfortably. And there was no more luxury for me to go to a Christmas dinner to get ham because I would be baking an extra ham under the guise of taking it to some needy place or something only to put it in the closet. And as soon as the family was in bed, I'd start carving away, literally a closet eater. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to make me stop because I still thought I could control and enjoy it. So I was under the, the yoke, under the foot of this disease. And there was nothing I could do about it, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And I thought that somehow I would be able to control and enjoy that eating if I'd only tried the harder, if I only tried this or that or the other thing. But I would still get an awful awakening. I would wake awful rather than the kind of awakening that I experience now on a daily basis, one day at a time. Because for today, my divine director guides and directs my flow in the stream of life so that I experience a progression of spiritual fitness rather than the progression of the disease of compulsive overeating. And with that, I passed. Thank you, Chelsea H. Who would like to comment on this paragraph? Tina S. Lauren S. I have Kim T. Larry. I have Larry. Rachel W. Rachel Elizabeth w. M. Elizabeth. Christine T. Hang on just one second. I've gotten just behind here. This is right after Melissa C. and before Christine T. Okay, we'll, we'll skip that one. Then anyone else that have already called their name, would you please mute your line, star one, and then we'll Reva P. Hi, Reva. Martha P. Martha C. And anybody else? Lynn S. 
Hi, Lynn. We'll take you too. Let's go with that and see where that leads us. It may take us to the end of the meeting. So I'm going to start and out of order. I apologize up front. Tina S. Please begin. Hi. Thanks, Melanie. This is Tina S. from Florida Compulsive Eater Anorexic. I uh, can't help but to uh, say every day uh, some good stuff in this chapter because it took me a long, long time to really relate to Bill's story. <laughs> you know, I was looking. He was a man. I'm a woman. He was older, I was 20, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, today, even in my disease, for a long time, I couldn't relate to this paragraph. You know, because I thought, well, you know, I'm compulsive eater, anorexic. You know, I didn't really um, eat continuously for long periods of time, but that's just a lie. You know, early on in my disease, I can remember, I'm from up north, originally Pennsylvania, that um, in the wintertime, I would somehow get this, and I always call it, that's why I moved to Florida, you know, I get this seasonal depression, but it seemed to be relevant for me every year, and that's when I would eat, and I can remember I would gain like 30 pounds every year in the, in the um, wintertime, and then once spring come, I was on that mission again, and I, you know, and I would be able to lose the weight, and it was just a vicious cycle, but, you know, I also thought that, you know, I wasn't affecting anybody else. And, you know, and I, I heard somebody share early on that, um, you know, I couldn't keep relationships. Well, that was my experience, you know. Um, you know, people hung around for a period of time, but I kind of, you know, was in a la-la land. And I, could, I would eat to the place of where I wouldn't be able to participate in conversations. And I was, you know, I would isolate. And, you know, like I couldn't find clothes to fit me or I wouldn't go shopping for bigger clothes, so therefore I wore the same clothes every day. You know, and it's very painful to think about that stuff. And, you know, by the grace of God and, and um, close to programs, I don't have to live that way anymore. And I'm so grateful to you on this line. And I thank you so very much for all your service and everybody on the line and I pass. Thank you, Tina S. And I'll go through that lineup just in case you missed it. I have Lauren S. next, followed by Kim G., Larry K, Rachel W, Melissa C, Reba P, Christine T, Martha Z, and Lynn. And based on the time, we're probably not going to get to the last three, but we'll see how it goes. Thank you so much, everyone. And Lauren S, you're next. <clears throat> Thank you, Melanie. Hi, my name is Lauren S, as in sunflower, and I am a homo sapien from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bootlegged chin. I like this paragraph, um, and I like all paragraphs because they're all necessary. This reminds me of my way of filling my hole inside. I wasn't a big eater who – I was a big eater, but I wasn't the kind of eater who would buy a lot of takeout or single serving or fast food. I bootlegged a lot of my binges because it was um, the most cheap, high-quantity uh, way to stuff in the ingredients. So often my – own version of my bootlegged gin instead of pouring a bunch of alcohol in a bathtub was taking a giant mixing bowl and pouring in like oil and sugar and all just making baking mixes and uh, 
it's uh, you know what? I don't really have much to say. I just kind of wanted to share, to be honest, to talk. So with that, I'm looking forward to hearing what other people have. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren S. Kim G. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I'm just going to zone in on that idea of bathtub gin. You know, we're seeing this progression that Bill is going through. You know, he's going from the, the fancy jazz club with the tinkling ice to coroning on the golf course, and now he's drinking bathtub gin. Man, do I relate into that. You know, it was always this thing of going to the best bakeries in town, only the best for Kim, and to the point that I'm eating, going to the grocery store where they sell the day-old Edamons. Why is that? Because I need that effect. I can't get the effect the way I did years ago as my disease is progressing. So it's volume that I need. I'm not worried about how good it tastes. I just need more volume. You know, the idea that, you know, that, you know, luxury versus necessity. Well, you know, I worked a really hard week at work. I mean, Saturday night, of course, I'm going to reward myself with some delicacies. But then it gets to the point where I'm living till 5 o'clock. Because every night I have to have effects on my way home. And then that's not enough. Now I'm going to have to start putting food in the drawers at work because I can't wait till 5 o'clock. You know, it comes from going from the best restaurants in Philadelphia to now I'm eating in bathrooms because I can't eat the way that I want to eat. So even if I'm in a, a, a nice fancy wedding, I'm going into the bathroom so I can eat with my fingers all those desserts, sticking stuff in my pockets. Because I need the fix, and I need more and more to get the same fix. You know, I just want to describe one idea, because once again, we are chasing an effect, and it's not the taste. When I was in college, I was terrified, absolutely terrified to go to school. And one of the things that would happen to me is I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and the only way I knew to soothe myself was to go down to the kitchen and eat cereal. And there was a couple years where we were having um, construction behind my parents' house where we were getting inundated with mice. So I went down and I started eating, went into the pantry and put my arm on the pantry shelf and a mouse ran down my arm that was behind the cereal boxes and onto the ground. Did I stop? No, of course I ate the cereal. I needed that effect because I was so scared. Fast forward another year. It's my sophomore year and I'm terrified again. I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and I decide to go down and have some cereal and I pull out the cereal from the pantry and I'm eating the cereal and I'm hearing this little scratching sound and I look up, and a mouse runs out of the cereal box across the kitchen table and onto the floor. Do I stop eating the cereal? Absolutely not. I needed that effect. I was probably eating mouse feces, but I didn't care because the only way that I knew how to cope with life was the food. So that bathtub gin is the progression of saying, oh, it's the high-class jazz clubs, and now I'm drinking bathtub gin. It's the high-class bakery, and now I'm eating store-brand Oreos because I need that effect. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Larry K. Thanks, Melanie. Larry K. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Um, boy, I could relate to what Lauren said. It's a great share about uh, the mixes and all that stuff. I did the same thing. You know, Bill's disease is tightening the noose around his neck, right? Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. You know, there was a time, I suppose, when, when my sugary dessert items and my 
my salty, savory, crunchy things, you know, they were merely a luxury. In other words, they, they were an extravagance. They were something added to my pleasure and comfort, but certainly not a necessity. And, you know, for example, we all have to travel from point A to point B. And some of us take public transportation. Some of us walk. Others of us drive. Um, some drive an older model car, inexpensive car, and others may drive a luxury car. You know, something that's it's got a little more kick to it. It adds to your comfort, but it's not a necessity. A necessity is something that's essential. It's required. And, you know, an addict like Bill, like you and I, becomes consumed with the necessity to acquire more and more of the substance we need to live. And let me tell you, you know, I wasn't consuming mountains of, of, of ding-dongs uh, to simply enjoy life a bit more, sort of to add to my, my, my pleasure. You see, I, I was more like a heroin addict with a rubber tie wrap around my arm so that I could get the vein to protrude a little bit further. You know, that's what the experience was like for me. And as a um, compulsive overeater, lest I delude myself into thinking that that sort of opiate-like high of heroin or cocaine is somehow different than what the pleasure, you know, center of my brain receives upon ingesting this, you know, the first or the 50th Skittle, you know, um, doesn't matter. Think again, Larry. I was surely owned by this disease just as much as Bill was. And uh, Bill and I, and perhaps you, were seeking the same intense high, that endorphin release, you know, a few minutes, that, or that, that brain-numbing sedation, right? That, uh, that period of calm. Problem was it got shorter and shorter and shorter for me until I was stuffing my face throughout the day to produce a shorter and shorter effect. Over time, you know, we get used to this effect and we need more and more in order to prolong the same effect. See, we have an allergy of the body and we have an obsession of the mind. And without help, it is too much for us. So for me, I began to wake up to panic attacks. Time to make the donuts, you know, and then oblivion. And, you know, I'll wrap up by saying that, that we still live in an age of miracles. If this didn't happen to me, I'd be hard-pressed to get on this line every morning and share, you know, because this wasn't about science. See, God did for me what was impossible, utterly impossible for me to do for myself, this program of recovery. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Rachel W. Hi. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your service. This is Rachel W., Recover Compulsive Overeater calling from New York. And, um, you know, the sentence, liquor ceased to be a luxury, it became a necessity. So for me, this is the downward spiral of the disease when the food became so much more than just food. And, you know, at first I, I might have chosen foods because they tasted good and numbed out, you know, whatever was going on. But after a while, you know, even copious amounts weren't enough. It was just like, let's just get, you know, in, um, Reese's, uh, you know, <laughs> injection, you know, just have that, that uh constant, you know, uh, high from it. And it didn't work anymore. And that was the real, that was when it got really scary. And, you know, I view it now as that hole in my soul that I was really desperate to fill. You know, so eventually disease led me to the insanity where no amount was enough. And um, and the other uh, sentence here, nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. And always there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. So I, I think it's interesting that he mentions that the sobriety gave his wife hope. So, like, you know, why couldn't he say that it gave himself hope? You know, why couldn't it give him hope? 
And I think it's because, um, you know, as it says here, he was trying to control the situation. You know, so as long as I'm trying to control it, anything, I, I lose the ability to gain the insight and see my role. So the sobriety that Bill's describing here wasn't working because for this simple reason that it sounds like he was white knuckling his abstinence and inherently when we do that, when I do that, it's not authentic and it's not going to stick around. And um, when he says it renewed his wife's hope, I think Bill is also alluding to looking outside of himself for validation and it's not the first time we've seen him do this and I, it's something that I know I've done so much. And But later on, you know, as we read, we're going to discover that um, that he's going to find, you know, the reality is that this program is an inside job and a total overhaul is needed from the inside out, you know, until I become in touch with an honesty and authenticity that, you know, binds me to to my God and a higher power base that every day is enlarging. And um, so in this process of transformation, I know I can uh, be in a reality where connecting to God and leaning into the steps and doing this program and reaching out to my fellows becomes a necessity and food is in its rightful place. It's just something that's going to nourish me um, so that I can do God's will. So thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Rachel W. Melissa C. Hi. I think you wrote me down mistakenly. I had shared already on the previous paragraph. Thank you. Okay, okay thank you. Reva P. Good morning. This is Reva P. Grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. Um, I'm relating to the fact that Bill is writing this from the perspective of recovery. And now, today, I can look back, um, and this is a huge remember when. Um, And for me, you know, at first I thought that food addiction or compulsive overeating, well, I didn't really have any perspective at that point, but... um, it tends to be like the uncool kind of addiction as opposed to drugs and alcohol, and it tends to be seen as not as serious. But for me, a real compulsive overeater, um, my compulsive overeating was like, um, was previously shared, it was like shooting up. I needed my fix. I could not function. I could not get through a day, part of a day, until I had my fix. And my whole focus was on when I could get home, shut the door to the apartment, be alone, and just binge my brains out till I fell asleep in my clothes. And it was a necessity. I could not function. Um, I couldn't cope. Um, so not only did I trigger my physical allergy um, and set up that phenomenon of craving that just got more and more intense and I needed more and more to get the awe and fix, and that lasted for a few seconds, and then I needed more and more to get it again. Um, And I'm amazed, and um, it just shows me how miraculous this program is that I can be in recovery today because I also still thought I could control it. I can't get through every 24 hours. I don't know how I functioned at work. And I still was in it. I didn't see. I didn't see the vicious cycle. Um, And, um, yeah, talking about paying the bars instead of my real bills, I couldn't save any money at that point. I made a lot of money. I have no idea. Well, I know where it went. But I had no savings um, at all. Um, And I think that's it. I'm going to pass. Thank you. 
Thank you, Reva P. And we do have time. Time allows for one more share. Christine T., will you take that time, please? Hi, my name is Christine T. Sorry. Okay. My name is Christine T. I'm a compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Hi, everyone. Um, I guess the sentence, which I adore, uh, is liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. For me, at the last 10 years of my eating career, <laughs> I, I, I used to ask my husband, you know, when are you leaving? What are you leaving? What business trip are you going on? I couldn't wait for this poor man to get out of here. So the moment that garage door went up, I was in the cabinet. I would eat and eat and eat on anything and everything. Didn't matter if I didn't even like it. It didn't matter. And once I was done with that, I would drive through a snowstorm. I would do anything it took to go get more. Um, amazing, amazing. Um, it, I, I definitely shook. I definitely passed out. Um, many, many things food has done for me. And then I love the next sentence. And there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. My poor husband, he's such a saint, really, not really, but <laughs> sort of. Uh, he put up with me for so many years. And um, the reality was every time I'd go on a diet, this man would get excited. He would follow the diet with me. He would do everything with me. And then all of a sudden, slowly, I would start eating again. Then I became a closet eater. Then I would ask him to become my binge buddy, and he would do that also. The reality of this disease is pretty harsh for me. Um, I am grateful. Without these 12 steps, I read this book over and over and over. Understanding it, knew I was in it, but I needed for someone to teach it to me. And um, how I live today is this freedom, this freedom from the compulsion, the freedom from all of this eating. I put him on a plane to Asia. I came back from a Vision for You conference on Monday. He was on a plane. I never think today about the food. It's not an option. Stopping at every fast food restaurant from the airport all the way home was what my past used to be. Today I come home. I do things. I'm not a sloth anymore. I'm not a procrastinator all because of these 12 steps. They've changed my life. I've had a miraculous transformation. I no longer stand and waste all that time in those cabinets. And there wasn't enough to fulfill my, my need. I'm an addict through and through. And um, I'm just so grateful for all of you, this website, and those people who put their hand out to teach me and encourage me to continue because this is not after 19 months it isn't something that just goes away it's something that I work on continually it's something that I just don't learn and leave set aside it's um, it's a miracle to me I, I get to live this way a day at a time and I no longer I relate to what's written but I no longer live that thank you thank you very much Christine T and thank you to everyone that shared today and especially thank you for the patience that you all showed during our technical difficulties this morning. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Elizabeth S., would you please read a, uh, a vision for you? Hi, Melanie, can you hear me? I can, thank you. Okay, my name is Elizabeth S., and I'm a recovered compulsive eater in Alberta, Canada. 
Our book is meant to be suggestive only, to realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great offense will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.